Good evening. This is Three Moves Ahead, and I am your host for the evening, Troy Goodfellow. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, one of the most celebrated board games of recent years. It is Elizabeth Hargrave's Wingspan, which was released in 2019 and pretty much became an instant classic, nominated for pretty much every uh, game award, and it won quite a few as well. Uh, this fall, a new digital version was released on Steam, also to rave reviews and applause. So it's a good time for us, I think, to take a look at Wingspan, what makes it successful as a board game design, and what makes for a good digital app. To do this, we've brought in two authorities on uh, tabletop games. First, our regular panelist and board game expert and freelance writer, Mr. John Bolding. Howdy, howdy. And making his first appearance on Three Moves Ahead, and we'll see if it's his last or not, depending on his performance, see how many <laughs> eggs actually hatch from his nest. Editor-in-chief of Dicebreaker, Matt Jarvis. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me on. Hopefully it's not judged on my performance in Wingspan, because I played three times in preparation for this, and I got beaten by the AI every time. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was that was a little deflating, but, you know, I'm, I'm here to kind of state my revenge on birds and robots of all kinds so birds are robots birds are all fake as the internet has told us <laughs> uh so matt let's start with you uh wingspan is, is sometimes described as an engine building game can you explain what we mean by an engine building game and how that applies to wingspan yeah, specifically yeah so in terms of an engine building game i suppose in some ways it's it's almost a bit of a misnomer because it's more like just getting your engine going than building it from scratch um, a lot of the time. So engine building games tend to be that you start with a small pool of actions or or weaker actions. Um, it can depend on the game. And over the course of the game, you'll either add more actions that you can then use on your turn or you'll increase the strength of the actions you already have. So it's this feeling of gathering momentum. And so you'll start the first few turns and you might only get I don't know, one resource or you'll draw one card. But by the end of the game, you're, you know, drawing five cards, getting five resources, scoring 15 points. And so it's this real kind of feel of, of rolling down a hill. Um, so yeah, where Wingspan fits into that is you start with your kind of free um, parts of your player board um, and the basic actions, which is laying eggs or drawing cards or playing birds or gathering food. And... Uh, as I just said, you kind of, you start by only getting one food resource at a time or drawing one card. But as you add more and more cards to your player board, you then increase the strength of those actions, not only those core actions, but you also add kind of bonus effects as you trigger each action. So you, by the end of the game, you might trigger the drawing card phase um, and you'll draw three cards, but then you'll also do five actions along that row as you kind of tick along each bird card that you've played. So it's, it very much fits into that kind of category of engine building. John, Wingspan, I mean, as soon as it came out, I heard about it everywhere. As soon as the uh, tabletop first came out. I mean, I don't have anybody to play board games with, so I didn't buy it. Uh, but this was a game everybody was talking about, and everyone seemed to love it. Uh, can you explain what the appeal of Wingspan is and why you think it had such a great response? I think that Wingspan really grabbed a lot of attention because it's really pretty, right? And aesthetic is a key thing in selling tabletop games. If it doesn't look really good, it, it simply won't break through to a mainstream tabletop audience. And when I say mainstream tabletop audience, I mean the mainstream of the extremely niche group of people who really, really play a lot of board games. Um, and it it also, I think it hit it at a perfect time. It hit at this perfect time where there hadn't been a widely accessible, really good card game or even sort of economic strategy game of this type in three or four years, long enough that I think people started to hunger for something a little simpler, but which they could then also get really into and learn all the strategies of and dig deep into. Um, and it also doesn't go too hardcore. It doesn't really require you to be able to play it effectively and beat another human being. 
it doesn't require you to be the master of this kind of game because there is a certain element of randomness. Like sometimes you just get really good sets of birds and you win, even if you're not the best player at the table. Uh, and it has that tiny, that that just enough of a gambling element, just enough of a random element where you're like, yeah, I want to play again. I want to see what I can get next time. Also, the birds are really pretty. The birds are the birds are really pretty. This is one of the most attractive uh, games, uh, board games I've ever seen uh in the in in the wild um and the theme has to be a real big draw here right i mean this is a game effectively i mean it's, a, it's about bird watching effectively right i mean it's, it's kind of the uh the designer uh uh elizabeth hargrave a lot of this comes from her own bird watching in maryland right where she would she'd visit the, the, the great story is you know she'd go to her lake uh, in maryland and she'd see all these birds and that would inspire her to make a game about birds so for the bird watchers out there and there's a few bird watchers in my life this has to really appeal to those collector types just want to see all of the cards and bring all the cards into play i think that's one of the the most successful things about it and I'm trying to think of the last kind of engine builder that broke through in this way, because it's quite a niche genre within a niche Mm -hmm. hobby. But I think part of the reason it's so successful is because of the theme, as you say, but the, the birds, they, they work some, somehow it all kind of comes together in the, the number of eggs they lay is roughly approximate to how many eggs they would lay in real life and the abilities on the cards some of them are predators and you can tuck other cards behind them depending on their size and it still manages to feel balanced you know there are these elements of randomness that john mentioned but that it feels impressively kind of immersive and thematic despite having over a hundred different birds that are all unique and despite being quite a mechanical game at its core, mm-hmm. it still manages to feel very true to that. And I think that is, you know, is one of the big reasons it's managed to kind of break across is you can pick it up and you can kind of innately understand what you're doing to some degree because it's like, okay, birds lay eggs, birds need food, birds like to live in, you know, the forest or the wetland or a field. But from that, it manages to get this kind of strategy and mechanical depth as well. Um, so yeah, that was one of the things that really surprised me um, that Hargrave spoke about is is that everything is kind of true to life, uh, which often isn't the case with games like this. They take a lot of liberty. Well, there's a real union between theme and mechanics here. I mean, a lot of great board games have great themes, but the mechanics don't fit. Right. They could be literally about anything. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. here, I mean, like I was playing it and when you go through the tutorial, it introduces all the food stuff and they get to the vulture, which they introduce the tutorial, which is a great card. And there's no, usually to play a bird, you need to have the food that the bird eats. But because the vulture is a scavenger, there's no food price to pay. And I think, oh, that's just great. That's what I expect. Um, the owl can stack other stuff behind it because it's a prey bird. And think, oh, that's a great little simple uh, mechanic. And it all makes intuitive sense. If you know anything about specific birds, oh, there's a killdeer that's going to end up in the where killdeers live. Um, that's an egret, so that's going to be in the wetlands. And so you understand uh, where all of this fits in a very intuitive uh, kind of way. And it's the way that nests play in. So this, the very design and the theme is linked to either what you, this is the kind of game where you can learn about birds and also where you know about birds. It kind of helps you in a kind of weird way. It doesn't give you any superpowers in playing the game better, but it does say, oh, yeah, I recognize that. That's a reference I get. Right. Yeah. And and that's there's a lot of value there. And I think the key, the, the absolute clutch thing is that instead of getting any of the many variously and wonderfully talented people who draw board games, artists who do this kind of art, who have an animated style, they got science illustrators to they got people who draw these birds for academic journals and for nature studies to come and do these illustrations so that they are accurate down to things like how many wing feathers a chickadee has. And that adds this like really weighty sense of credence. And then there's this there's this great thing that I absolutely love about the digital edition. And one of the reasons that I think we're doing this podcast is because I think this digital edition is excellent. I think this is the best 
digital edition of a board game I've ever experienced. But it has these little touches like when you click on a bird, it plays that bird's call, right? Yeah. And that kind of that little stuff, it makes it all the more valuable. It gives them so much more character. Like you could just you could be bored by birds, maybe. But when you're in this game, it's it's got the nature documentary value to it where you feel like at any moment David Attenborough could start describing these birds to you. Yeah, I mean, that almost happens in the digital version as well, right? Because there's a narrator when you play them. Right, and yeah. they read out the the fact. And that was, as someone that knows very little about birds, like you say, that's that's kind of one of the joys as you play it and it tells you this kind of obscure fact or, well, obscure to me at least. Um, and so, again, it just makes what would be quite a dry kind of um mechanical experience in in somebody else's hands this this feeling where you're the way that you play in that game is quite isolated from other players generally um but because you're building up your engine because you're adding cards to your tableau and then you're getting these kind of facts and bird calls on top it does it's a really kind of tranquil experience just playing it but you're you're just slowly filling out your environment and hearing these birds call, and as you click on them, they do the calls again. And so it just, it builds into this kind of, you know, very relaxed, although it, it's quite intense and strategic. I just found myself going, oh, this is lovely. I'm, I'm just happy to be here. At some point, <laughs> yeah. I don't mind how many points I'm getting because I'm, I'm just learning about these birds. It's lovely. Like, you don't, you don't care if you, I think, I think one of the magic things about a good, uh, non-directly competitive economic strategy board game is that, you had fun, whether you won or no matter how well you performed, you enjoyed yourself. You felt like you built something cool and you made your collection or your little engine, or in this case, you built your little bird wildlife preserve with your collection of birds that are special to you in some way. Like you don't even have to care about the birds in the first place to be like, yeah, these are my birds, though. Like I really love puffins now. I just spent the last <laughs> 35 minutes looking at this puffin card and kind of into it. I mean, but that, you both mentioned something which probably quote, remind readers, readers of, listeners of. This is not a game where there's like direct competition between. I mean, there's there's points, but you don't really interact a whole lot with your opponent. Occasionally, bird powers might be activated by what your opponent has in their trees or in their nests, but by and large, you're doing your thing and your opponents are doing their thing. And there's not a whole lot of interplay between you. Yeah, you can set yourself up to gain from the strategy your opponent is employing sometimes, but there's there's no direct competition other than over maybe a, a, a shared resource in the, the central pools or a specific bird card that's available for purchase at the time. But even then, that comes up so rarely. Yeah, I mean, you, you could you could run out of bugs in the bug feeding tray because someone else took them. But beyond that, there's not a lot of, oh, I can't believe you did that. Unless they, you know, they, they take a bird you really wanted from the bird collection area. Um, so it's kind of a solitaire type thing in some ways. Mm. And you can play it solitaire. Um, yeah. Which is, which is kind of a, which is, which for me, I mean, my first exposure to playing it was actually in the digital version. And in some ways that made it harder for me to learn the game because the digital version, which we'll talk more about it, it puts your opponent's plays on a separate thing. They'll tell you what, oh, I, 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 I bought a bird or whatever. And they'll tell you that, but you have to click and see what they did. It's not like on the table where you can see right in front of you what they're doing. And in fact, you, so if I'm watching a, a skilled player do things in front of me, oh, that's why they did that, I understand. But the digital version, it's hidden away, so I can't see that. And that kind of bugs me. I think it's, it's a problem that a lot of digital games or digital board games have, um, in that that's the, I think that's the thing they really struggle to capture is that the sense of being sat around a table and seeing, like you say, your opponent's like tableau growing with cards. Um, and particularly in Wingspan where, you know, like you say, it, it, you're essentially doing your own thing. There's these kind of slight points of, of contention where you might take someone's die or take a card that somebody else wants. 
but it feels in more ways like a race. Like you're trying to build your engine faster than anyone else's. And they have these kind of round-to-round objectives that almost act like check marks or checkpoints of where you are currently in terms of points. And I think that that does a little bit. It just happens to help in the digital version of knowing where you stack up against others. But it does lack that feeling of, you know, you have to go to someone else's screen to see what they've done. And it it does struggle to to have quite as as social a feeling as the board game, which isn't super social to begin with. Um, which I think is is they they kind of handle it relatively neatly. I think they've done the best job they can in some ways because after other people take turns, it pops up with a little speech bubble at the top and it tells you what they've done. Um, which is, I think, if I interject here. Uh, a little bit hilariously to me, like playing a Euro game in person where everyone's staring at their like hand of cards in their little board. Um, and you'll just hear someone else finish their turn by being like, oh, I, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to get some seeds and uh, a food. OK, great. Next. <laughs> so we've been talking a lot about the digital version. Uh, we'll get back to the game in general in a bit, but I do want to uh John, you said this is one of the best digital adaptations of a board game you've ever seen. What makes for a good digital adaptation of a board game? Because we've seen a lot of them. Uh, Steam, of course, has the Tabletop Simulator. It's got Tabletopia. It has, you know, uh, all kinds of other board game types of adaptations. Avalon Hills uh, diving in. And this one, you think, lifts uh, above them. What in general qualifies for a good adaptation? Beyond yeah. just being like, a, a, beyond just the, the, the baseline of, well, the game has to be good to begin with. What makes for a good digital adaptation? Beyond the Chrome stuff, what makes, just in general, I think what that, do you look for? I think that a bad digital adaptation simply slavishly reproduces what the board game looks like and how it plays without changing anything. Because what happens when you move a game to digital is you can't you can't just literally give us what the board looks like and the cards look like and that's it right and just you know make some physics rolling dice come across the screen the thing you must do to make a digital adaptation of a board game good is understand where you have to change the baseline user experience and visual design of playing the game and that is really really difficult you have to know what to cut rearrange and move around so like wingspan's digital adaptation they completely rearrange where information is on the cards right the the physical cards look quite different from these hmm. and it's very it works it works very well because the cards don't need to be a big block these are much uh they're they're taller and thinner so they fit your screen much better uh the the physical uh, version of Wingspan has a single player board with the the four different biomes on it, the sky, forest, plains and and water. Right. Um, and you can always see all of that at the same time. But it, with this adaptation, you're able to move between them all sort of seamlessly to see what your option is and what it looks like so that everything can highlight or gray out depending on what you're able to do there. But you do still have the option to pop open an overview of the entire game board if you're more comfortable with all that information at once. But they do a great job of limiting what's in front of you to help you understand what choices you should make. And the the sort of gold standard board game adaptation, I think, to this point was uh, Lords of Waterdeep. It was a great board mm-hmm. game adaptation. Everybody understood sort of how it worked, but it was very much still the board game itself aside from a few little changes wingspan goes well above and beyond that by focusing on making the game more playable than the tabletop version i think that if i wanted to teach someone wingspan i might happily be like yeah play it digitally right before you come over to the house on friday that way you'll just know how to play already right and i don't think I've ever felt that way about a digital digital adaptation before. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, John's completely on money. I think one of the interesting things is, like you're saying, it's it's finding that balance between 
the benefits of digital where it can ha- it handles the maths for you you know you you don't have to be the code the code is there um but i think some digital adaptations of board games can go too far the other way where if they take too much out of your hands it's actually really hard to understand what's happening in front of you so you, you know cards will fly across the screen because it's automatically doing the stuff that normally you'd be doing by hand and that makes it really hard if you're a fan of that game and are trying to learn for an app or you know bounce between tabletop and digital um to to go from one to the other because you can play i think through the ages um might do this um you can play something and it will just whiz through six different phases that on the tabletop might take five ten minutes to do which is great it saves you time but it doesn't actually give you an understanding of what's happening in that game and that can affect how you then you know adjust your strategy or how you might counter another player because you don't have a good idea of what they've just done and i think wingspan is it's an incredible uh version of the game because it it takes the kind of idea of wingspan that you have from the tabletop and almost it's almost like the full art version of um like a card it it goes beyond the borders of a board you know it blows out those environments into full screen things it adds sounds it adds animations but it still manages to keep the game in there it doesn't just do away with the actual tabletop part um i think direwolf um which is a studio that did wingspan they also no, did it's, um, um, it's monster couch oh, it, it's a new oh, studio monster couch ah oh, sorry uh yes uh oh, that's i'd completely i'd conflated it because i've been playing quite a lot of root uh, digitally as well and that's another kind of outstanding version of that yeah. game because it does exactly the same thing it manages to have enough of the board game in there where you can understand what's happening but it manages to add those little touches it adds music it adds kind of animations for the fights and split screen kind of challenges with each other and i think those are the the highlights where it's not you having to drag pieces around like in tabletop simulator but it's not just doing it all for you and then you click an option and then it whizzes through and then you click another. It, there has to be a balance in there and I think wing, Wingspan strikes it perfectly. So where does Twilight Struggle fit on this continuum? I think the Twilight Struggle adaptation is great, but I think that ultimately it doesn't do enough to to ease players into how to play the game it still is twilight struggle and nothing they did can fix that in many ways right like they don't do a great job of helping you remember what cards are still in the deck and they could totally do that and part of playing twilight struggle is doing that they just sort of still leave it to you to remember that stuff and generally to me in any kind of a strategy game player memory isn't a very interesting factor in playing I mean, that's a that's a very small example, but like they do just sort of immediately reproduce the very bland war game graphic design of the Twilight Struggle cards in that adaptation. If you want a direct comparison, whereas Wingspan sort of rearranged the cards to make them much more straightforward and usable uh, in a digital format. I think, you know, I think the the biggest test, though, they're the biggest uh, the biggest comparison for me is I've played Twilight Struggle digital as a hot seat with someone locally and didn't enjoy it very much whereas with the wingspan digital after playing it a few times i went over to the couch and i made my spouse come over and i loaded it up on the tv and we passed a mouse back and forth and played it there and that was an absolute blast really i mean it was it was excellent as a local co-op or a local uh, a local competitive multiplayer game and that was really satisfying it was really fun so let's talk a bit more about Wingspan, uh, the game in general, because I think I do think there's a lot to say say about you know the general design of this game and it's how it's laid out beyond um, beyond the aesthetics, uh, which are just as we've said they're outstanding uh, in the digital version with the animations and the sound. Um, Matt, you want to talk that there there are like a few basic actions you can do like each each turn you can make like one action and then your engine takes over and there are more actions that spill out of it yeah that's right so there are there are kind of your three main environments um which each relate to one of the core actions 
Um, so you can gather food in the field. You can uh, lay eggs. Uh, sorry, you gather food in the forest. Uh, you lay eggs in the field, and then you um, get more cards, draw more cards, get more birds um, at the water's edge. Um, and throughout all of this, so you can take one of those actions, or you can add a bird card to one of those rows. Um, and as you add bird cards, you both increase the kind of core action that you're doing when you trigger one of those environments, but you also gain the abilities of any birds that you've added to that row. Um, so for instance, if you added three, four birds to your um, laying eggs, the field environment, you would lay uh, extra eggs compared to the one that you start with. Um, and then you would go from right to left along those cards and trigger each card. And that's kind of where the real kind of meat and strategy of Wingspan come in because those abilities, they can be quite straightforward in that they allow you to just get more food or lay another egg, but they also add the ability to gain things in between turns if a, if another player does a certain action. There's the Predators, which allow you to tuck cards underneath, which will then score you more points at the end. Um, and there are other ones that allow you to discard cards or discard resources for various different effects. But all of that triggers with one of those actions. So it's, like I say, it's one of those things where you start off very slow. You're you're gathering, you know, one food and you're just aiming to play one of your bird cards. And once you've played that bird card, you then want to lay eggs on it because the further, the more cards you play in a row, you have to then spend eggs off of your bird cards in order to add birds to that row. So it becomes this cycle of, gathering food to play birds, to lay eggs, to play more birds, and then drawing more birds into your hand. But the way that you're adding these abilities, it becomes very satisfying to just trigger a single action each turn. So it moves really quick as a game because you're only really doing one thing a turn. But in that one thing, you might do four smaller bonus actions or abilities as your engine starts running. And so that's... That's where you'll suddenly find yourself by the kind of the midpoint of the game and the rounds get shorter as you go on, yeah. but it doesn't feel that way because you're doing more and more every turn. Yeah, I mean, each each turn has successively has one fewer phase uh, in each turn. I mean, it all sounds very simple and you go through the tutorial. It's a very good tutorial, uh, by the way. Uh, so I recommend everyone play through it. It all seems very simple. So why do I suck so hard at one span? <laughs> Well, I think that what is what is the mental barrier that keeps me from understanding? Oh, I should be doing this instead of this because I've been like I've got like ten hours in this thing, and I'm still beating my head about okay, what is my strategy? What should I be doing? And that's I think that's the trick is that it is a game that's really difficult to wrap your head around strategies without someone to teach you and that's rough because you can't sit there in the digital version and as easily watch someone else make decisions and build a strategy because so much of strategy building at least for me and wingspan is is round to round right like I, you try to make a good plan with your first few cards there but from then on it's straight it's entirely up to what's available to you what pieces get put on the board for you to draw from what new cards come out, what kind of birds are available to you, you might start out one game thinking, oh, I'm going to go for a strategy here where like, oh, I've got a couple good cards that are awesome in the, the field. So I'm going to go for some egg laying birds there. And then every time I take eggs, I'll just get even more eggs and all my birds will have all the eggs they need and I'll be able to play more birds really easily. And then by the third action, there are a ton of great cards out, but they all go in the wetland and you're like, well, what if we did water instead and you get you get your uh, your bonus cards right little bonus goal cards and those can put you in a good direction where you're like okay well i have an idea i have i'm going to get bonus points every time i put a bird in the forest so i'm going to try and get a lot of birds in that forest but ultimately you may not get to do that and that's a criticism that some people have of this game and that i find frustrating at times which is sometimes you look at your bonus goal and you're like well that's not going to happen there's no way because you're halfway through the game and you've seen one bird that would qualify you for points and you need five 
birds that would get you those points, right? To get the minimum amount. Um, and so some of that can be pretty rough to play while you're learning. Yeah, those secondary objectives are like kind of a, they're kind of a trap, right? I mean, I understand. I mean, the idea of secondary objectives and bonus objectives and bonus points, this is an old canard. It's common in all kinds of different games. But it can really lead you down a suboptimal path if you think, oh, I should be shooting for this. And you come up just short of the goal. Um, and it's, I, I see why. I, I think it's good that they're there because I think it, it does add a little bit of, you got to have a little bit of temptation there. I think to try to push you to reach for the gold instead of, you know, trying to, you know, stick with whatever your plan might be. But they can be very, very frustrating, um, especially if you have to, if you can't see again what your opponent has done and why they're doing it. Um, it or they might be chasing their own little bonus cards that you don't know about. And it's it taps into that. Um, I want to know why people do the things they do in a strategy game. Right. And sometimes when you're learning it, when you're learning the strategy game, that's very hard. You're learning it by yourself. It's even harder. Uh, so the tutorial is very good, but it just gets you through like halfway through the first round and through the first turn. And there are just so many goddamn birds. Yeah, there there are a <laughs> and, lot of birds. And, and they, there are so many, and they all have like, so many of them like change the game in different ways. It's like, why is, what does, like I might have been quite sure I really understood how to use nests strategically for the longest time because nests are, the different types of nests are a way birds are sorted and you can get extra points for extra kinds of birds. But there, there, I think there are also actions you can take based on nests and bonus points. And are there other stuff going on? It's been going with nets. Are they just like a suit? In, are these like, are the, are the bro nests or they, they like spades and clubs? Is it just like, I'm looking for the Trump nest here or what's going on. And it's, the tutorial's good, but I kind of wish it had taken me through the full turn instead of halfway through and then leaving me with, you know, half a deck to go. Because there is so much going on, uh, potentially engine-wise, um, just by emphasizing different little things, like the eggs because some to play it to get and to play a bird you sometimes need food sometimes you need eggs sometimes you need food and eggs you need you need an egg to play a bird but you also need food it's all very very confusing what you need to play birds and some birds don't need either any of those um and it's all very very weird i still like this game but i'll be damned if i know how i'm ever going to get better at it yeah i think that you've besides, hit on something besides, besides, besides saying hey john help me through this which is my other option just to yeah, call you no i th i think that you've hit on something about board games which is that they are often designed with the assumption that there will be someone else there to help you learn it even if you're sitting at a table with four people and none of them have ever played it and only one of you has read the rule book yeah. you will at least be able to have a dialogue as you play where you figure out what cool strategies look like and you get to look at a large slice of the game as a whole and it makes me wonder if the ideal way to play this wouldn't actually be by remote play right steam has the remote play feature so mm -hmm. get your four friends that you're going to play this with and all load in and actually only play it on one person's computer so that everyone is watching everyone else play and that removes some of the fun mystery of the bonus scoring conditions but there's so little competitive interaction on that front that i don't think that would change much i mean but the the other thing you miss by not playing in a real game with people on a table is you don't miss the fun of getting the rules wrong i mean like that's an you important part of learning don't. a board game is somebody getting the rules wrong and all of a sudden the spartan armies can move through greece i'm 
when like we were playing Pericles uh, with Bruce Garrick uh, last year. It's like we got one of the rules wrong. We wonder why the Spartans have such an easy time of it. It's because oh, because we misunderstood one of the peace rules. So it's a very important to get those rules wrong because that helps you get because misunderstanding a rule lets you understand the rule better when you want when you figure it out. Um, but yeah, this is a great, I mean, the remote play, I guess, is an option and something we might want to think about. I mean, I do remember playing, um, through moves ahead of the podcast, we podcast folks, we had a, we had a water deep game going, uh, for a while. We played it a few times. It was great fun. Um, and it's a fantastic adaptation. And I wonder how much fun you would have if we did try this. But I think water deep has a lot more like interaction, right? Because, even if you're playing it relatively solitaire, if you take somebody else, somebody else wants like the thieves guild and you go to the thieves guild, they will remember that. And that's kind of a stick in your craw type thing here. There's really none of that. I think, yeah, you're very right. Um, and I, that's part of what makes it fun for some people. And that's, yeah. I think part of what people, some people dislike about the genre as a whole. And I truly do love how relaxed this is that I can just yeah. sit back and listen to bird calls. It it deeply enhances the experience. The bird calls are amazing. When I discovered that it was like, I was just clicking on every single bird I saw just to hear it sing. Yeah. I think they did put out an app. I can't remember if the app was official for the board game where you could scan the cards. So I think there is a, if folks are playing the physical version, I think there is an equivalent now. Obviously it's not quite as smooth because you have to, dig your phone out every time to scan a card, which probably isn't the thing you want to be doing around a tabletop game. But I think it is, it's definitely one of those things. And you're saying about getting <coughs> rules wrong. I think there is, there's something very nice when you're playing a, a more complex board game in person. And some, some games have kind of um, taken heed of this now and they'll include a tutorial kind of variant where they'll knock out half of the complex rules and they'll just introduce the basics. And I think that is, whether you're getting them wrong on purpose or just kind of playing a simplified version, you know, that, that's that been a welcome kind of introduction rather mm -hmm. than having to sit through two hours of someone reading a rule book to people or gathering around a, you know, a tablet to watch a how-to-play video. It's, they're knocking down the barriers to people getting into these games. Mm -hmm. And I think there is... With Wingspan, because it is a game that is played, it's a, it's a game that's played over the whole of the game. You know, it's it is one of those things where you can come from behind in the last round. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So a yeah. tutorial is quite a difficult thing to do for a game like that without just basically throwing you into a full game. Um, but I think it is, it's one of its um, one of its flaws. Occasionally, is that you know you can find yourself sometimes by nature of drawing cards or rolling dice that you just don't have the right birds. You don't have the right food when you need them. But if luck does go in your favor, you can spend the last few rounds just generating eggs or, you know, if you filled out most of your rows because you get points at the end for eggs and there's often scoring round to round scoring bonuses for eggs. There have been games I've played where the last three or four rounds is just, well, I'm going to, I'm just going to lay some more eggs because I'm just filling out these birds. And so it, it almost becomes too efficient where you're just doing the same thing uh, for the last few rounds, um, which is, it's all just the nature of, of what happens and what you draw. Um, but it's definitely one of those things where as a newcomer coming to that game, sometimes it just, just isn't in your favor and it's hard to know that without playing it a bunch and seeing all those different cards and knowing how they go together. I, I find it interesting that uh, this very chill, uh, very relaxed, uh, very friendly uh, board game, it, it, it's, it's published by Stonemeyer Games, who also makes Scythe, which yes. is very much... Not <laughs> very much. Not a, this. Very much not wingspan. It is a. Uh, I mean, it's not like um, there's. It's not like Stonemaier Games has a ton of titles. They've got like maybe a dozen titles in their uh, uh, portfolio, and now they're all a little bit different. But you know, you have wingspan. This 
this this grandma game about bird watching and bird collecting, and it's fantastic. I don't mean that in any derogatory sense at all. Just this is a very this is a game. Everyone has their tableau, and everyone puts their cards together. Oh look, isn't my bird pretty? And it's all great fun. And then we have Scythe, a game about you know robots and uh, mechs and all kinds of fancy uh, period uh, machines killing each other. And I just think it's fantastic that these two are siblings. Yeah, the, as a publisher, they have a lot of breadth, but their whole catalog is linked by an economic resource-driven sort of strategy focus, right? to my knowledge at least. And I think that I like that we can apparently trust this publisher to try and make good digital adaptations. And I'm, I'm excited to see if there will be more from them. Uh, and I am going to definitely keep my eyeballs on, on the developers of this on monster couch, because I very much like what they did here and I want to see them do more. Yeah. Mm. They don't seem to have a whole lot. Uh, certainly no other board game adaptations in their uh, profile. As far as I know. No, I don't think I don't, uh, I don't know if this is their first game or not. No, it looks like they they may have made a few other things. Yeah, they're once again they've got a very small. They've got a yeah. I was just looking at their website. Well, I mean, Thea: The Awakening is the other one that I'm familiar with. Uh, they did the Switch adaptation of Thea, which a show a game we did a podcast on a few years ago. A light forex exploration game i guess they did the switch adaptation for that uh well it's nice that they have a switch adaptation for that i wasn't too fond of thea but yay for them and i guess they have a uh console uh red baron game that came out this fall so that's something to look for but yeah, because this adaptation, it shows a certain love. I mean, as you said, John, the fact that they have gone beyond just copying the cards, that they've adapted the cards and changed the cards to improve the information. I'm sure they had a lot of uh, cooperation there from uh, Hargrave and the Stonemeyer team. They would have had to. Yeah, I think I think they did, or at least they had a great place to draw from right a good pool of common design and they were given access to sort of the, the bones of the game and how it worked and what the math was um on how many cards do this and that etc cetera, etc cetera. it just it adds a lot to the experience and it's just great to be able to say that about an adaptation of a really good board game and not really i mean i have tiny quibbles about the experience it gets crowded on screen sometime but Compared to my experience with other board game adaptations, it's just such a satisfying thing to play digitally. And I like that this is getting a digital release because it not that it hasn't sold well. It definitely has. It was completely unavailable for most of the year after it came out. Every print run just vanished. But this for for a while, it was impossible to find. No, you couldn't get it. Uh, And I'm glad, though, that this game will now be able to tap into the pipeline of successful game uh, adaptation, which then feeds into physical sales, which is a proven thing in board games. It's just every single digital adaptation seems to drive physical sales just higher because people are like, oh, great, I can own this as a tangible object. And also I can play it on the go or at my computer when no one else is around. So I, I'm glad that Wingspan's getting that and hopefully it opens up the space maybe some uh computer strategy designers will sit down with this and, and realize that there's really good design here for them to play with uh, and we'll get something for sort of engine or abstract strategy or economic strategy games uh like we did with deck builders and slay the spire right now this uh add up this uh digital version it just has the core card set right that's another two expansions uh, yes, it's just the core card set. It doesn't have the Europe or Oceania expansions, uh, though I would be thrilled if those became options in the future. I just want more birds. Just want more birds, man. 
I mean, uh, there, first, there are already too many birds because I can't track what they all do. But I just love the birds. Sometimes. And I think it, in some ways it's a, it's a kind of genius move. I think Hargrave has said that they plan to do an expansion for every continent apart from Antarctica, um, which instantly sets up, you know, I, there are kind of endless possibilities and given how well it's sold i think generally the the rule of thumb is that expansions don't don't do anywhere close to a core game but i think with wingspan there's a real kind of drive behind it because the core game only has north american birds and so for anyone playing anywhere else in the world there's instantly a kind of connection of like well i'd like to learn about the birds in my region right right or you know or a region i've been to or a region where someone lives that i know so I think that is an instant kind of easy win compared to a lot of expansions where they feel, you know, they're playing to the crowd that play a game again and again and again, exhaust the core mechanics. But it it's very rare that something doesn't feel just a little bit tacked on as if just to say, okay, here's, here's a little bit more. Because most great games, you know, the, the fantastic experience is there in the box. Um, if it... A lot of the time, if it was so good, you know, it would have been included in the first place. There are exceptions right. to that. But I think with Wingspan, there's just a real kind of purity to its birds. They're from your region. There's an obvious kind of reason for those expansions to exist. And there's an obvious kind of reason why they weren't all in there from the beginning, because you don't want a Dominion size box right. with several thousand bird cards. <laughs> Speak for yourself. But no Antarctica? So where are my penguins going to be? The South American penguins? The posers? I think that, you know, you got to go for the... We got to convince Elizabeth Hargrave to design the only South American birds, like 20 different kinds of penguins micro game, right? Tiny version of Wingspan with only a few birds. Go Just penguins. Just little penguins. And probably a seagull. Well, well, they do a whole flightless bird expansion. Because that could be fun. Have your your kiwis and your ostriches and your emus and your penguins. I'm into it. I'm not not sure where the penguins would live of all all the biomes. I'm not sure where you would put them, I guess. The the splashy parts. The splashy parts. There's There's puffins in base wingspan, at least, so. Okay. And the, the the puffins are going to the, the, the wetlands? They do, yeah. Okay. And they should be on rocks? I guess it'll have to do. We'll, we let it go. We let it slide. Yeah. Have to let a few inaccuracies slip in. You can't be too revered for your scientific prowess. Uh, so any final thoughts on um, this game in particular or uh, stuff? I know. I, I just... Uh... I sort of insisted that we do a show on Wingspan because I just think it's a great game and I think this is a great adaptation. Uh, And I'm glad that we got to, I'm glad that we got to talk about it. Sure. I think it's, I think in, in the spring, actually Stonemaier said that it had almost outsold Scythe within the space of a year. Scythe came out in 2016, I think. Yeah. So, and Scythe was a big deal. You know, that was a, that was kind of like a big mainstream hit as well. It kind of crossed the, you're now seeing, like RTS game, like Iron Harvest, I think is set in that universe. Yes. It's, it's kind of sparked this bigger thing. But Wingspan, I think is so notable because because of its theme. Yeah, it seems so obvious. There are there are games about birds and nature, but this is, I think, such a standout because as we were saying before, it, it feels so true to the theme. It doesn't feel pasted on. And the theme itself is quite is arguably niche you know people people like birds but ornithologists in the world are you know much less common than people who can't name seven species of bird and engine builder games are niche in themselves but i think the amazing thing about this is it's taken both of those and just made them incredibly accessible and incredibly appealing for so many people i I think it's worth noting this is a game that's it's a board game that's not about war it's not about economic expansion it's not about building a business it's not about trains all the other great uh, board game themes it is a theme that is kind of untouched when you look at the board game space 
which is dominated by I mean, the games that I play and like, and which is are about you know building the biggest business or collecting the most money or grabbing the most land. And this is about none of those and became this runaway hit. Yeah. I think that's kind of remarkable. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you and I love it. It's not about trains, trains, war or stock markets, which are the three things that board games are about otherwise. Or elves. Or, Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say fantasy is the the people keep putting out fantasy games and everyone is so tired of it. Like I don't know a single person that is excited to play the latest kind of you are an alpha wizard, a human and a dwarf adventure game, <laughs> but they keep putting them out. And some games have been kind of rethemed and reskinned to be very bland fantasy games. And it's just as the, the board game hobby gets bigger and bigger there are so many people coming into it and there are so many, I think Elizabeth Hargrave is a fantastic example of someone that has that passion also, you know, is a brilliant designer, combines the two in a single thing and manages to find an audience that, you know, on paper, this seems like it doesn't sell a lot of copies. It's an engine building game about birds. That's very scientific really when you dig into it and yet it's become this huge thing. And I just hope that it is, proof that you can just go for something interesting for once you know board games are great in their variety of theme and mechanic but so many of them fall into the same old trap that they think is popular but i think this is proof that actually the right execution with the right theme can be just as big or bigger than you know how many other kind of cookie cutter fantasy games yeah smart design can come from anywhere and this is proof. Mm. Well, it's a strong recommendation from the panel for both Wingspan and the Wingspan adaptation on Steam from Stonemeyer Games and Monster Couch and the Big Brain of Elizabeth Hargreave. Uh, three Moves Ahead is uh, this episode will be produced uh, by Leanna Hafer and Three Moves Ahead is made possible by viewers like you, uh, at least those of you who contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash 3MA. There you can find uh, information on how to access our Discord server hidden in a secret uh, kind of way. As Rob says, I'm not sure how secret it is. It is a place where we talk about strategy games every now and then, and occasionally we even play them and talk about our experiences. Uh, For Matt and John, this is Troy Goodfellow signing off and wishing you a good week.